All right, everybody, welcome to episode 31 of the Engineering Success Podcast. Shout out to anybody that's watching this live on YouTube. If you're watching this live on YouTube, that means that you're seeing that this is episode 31 and I haven't posted episode 30 yet. You might be a little bit confused by that. Episode 30 was already recorded. It'll come tomorrow or tonight. It'll I've edited it and it'll come through and get posted. And then episode 31 will then get posted on Anchor the following week. So we're getting really kind of creative. We're trying to get, we're trying to figure out how we want to go about ordering, how we record things, post things. So we're working on that. But in the meantime, you'll get to just enjoy some serendipitous fun. But we have a fun slate ahead of us. But before we get into that, a couple little shout outs. First of all, shout out to us. We're up over 600 followers on Twitter. We just eclipsed the 100 subscriber mark. I think we're up to 107 subscribers on YouTube. We're trying to get to 1,000. 1,000 subscribers is our goal, so we're we're on our way there. Um, and we are up over 6,500 6, or approaching 7,000 views total on YouTube. So we're growing. Also, we're on TikTok now. I'm, I'm posting on TikTok, so, you know, trying everything to get as much reach as possible for the podcast. We're getting better every single week and every we're trying to start posting now every single week. So it'll be fun. Make sure you follow all of the social medias and you'll get to see all of the action and all of your doses of engineering success. Speaking of doses of engineering success, I don't know if there's actually that's a pretty dumb transition, but speaking of engineering success, we wouldn't be as successful without our supporters. So shout out to John Ott, our top tier supporter. Join John Ott and you'll get a shout out at the beginning of every single episode of the Engineering Success Podcast for $10 a month. Thank you, John, for your support of the podcast. And then I don't really have any life updates other than the fact that we are joined yet again by Luke Callahan. How you doing, Luke? Good. How are you, Daniel? Oh, I'm blessed. It's it's a good time. It's a good time. Thank you for <clears> joining <throat> the podcast again. How how do I keep on getting you to come back? Um. Well, I mean, I think you're doing a lot of good things. I mean, I like I like the content that you're making. Um, and I think it's uh, it's good information that they don't have a lot of out there. So if I can help out and provide another insight, you know, that's um definitely something that I want to help you do. Thanks, Luke. Well, we, whenever you're here, the people know that that means that we have a fun new topic to talk about. So what topic are we touching on this week? Um, this week, uh, something that I think both of us are going to have a lot of input for is building a professional brand. You know, um, and I mean, of course, we're going to have an engineering focus, but I think this is good content um, for, you know, people uh, that are joining the workforce and especially entering a, a, a young professional role. Um, so anybody out of college or um, anybody just just starting out, um, I think it's going to be good information for them. Sweet. So building your professional brand. So. I guess we should probably start by talking about what professional branding is, right? So here's my understanding of professional branding. So that's kind of how people know you and in your professional circles. And that may seem really, really basic, but what are you known for whenever I'm stealing? Okay, 
I'm kind of stealing from you. But whenever people talk about you, what do they say? What's the first thing they say? That, that That's what I kind of view your personal brand to be. So what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's kind of the big thing, right, is what kind of defines you as an individual. Um, and whenever people, I guess, um, see you or they have an opportunity to work with you or even just, um, you know, information that's transferred over from somebody, you know, if you're switching roles or if, you know, somebody's, you know, talking about um, bringing you onto a team, they say, okay, well, what, what is this person like? You know, is he, is he a good worker? Um, can I rely on him? Is he dependable? Um, you know, what are some things, what are some of his strong suits? You know, what is he good at? And what are some of the things that, you know, we can expect him to kind of fall short on? Um, so I think that's, that's really what, what branding is and um, kind of what you want to, I guess, like label yourself as. Yeah. And, and that's why it's important, right? Because if you're trying to move into a new role, you're trying to move into a new team, you're trying to do anything new, then your personal brand is the first thing that other people are going to talk about whenever you're trying to, whenever your manager is advocating for a raise for you on your behalf, they're going to speak to you on their knowledge of your personal brand. When somebody is thinking about getting you a promotion, they're going to speak to you on your personal brand. Whenever you are pitching yourself to a potential new employer, you are pitching your personal brand. So having a good understanding of what your personal brand is and being self-aware of what you're putting out there, I think, and you can chime in here, but I think is extremely important for your career. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't necessarily think about, right, is whenever they start. Um, uh, a lot of times people are just focused on output and productivity. Um, mm -hmm. But something that you want to focus on, especially early in your career, is, you know, what you're known for, or what you're known as, and uh, building something that you can continue and take with you the rest of your career, right? You want to limit the number of blemishes or the, or the um, I guess, the things that people are going to say about you that don't necessarily put you in the light that you either want to be seen as or put you in a bad light that's going to be really limiting for you in the future. Exactly. So. We've talked about the importance of a personal brand, but maybe we should just back it up a little bit and talk about what we talked about. We, we've kind of glossed on what a personal brand is, but let's talk about brands. So we got Nike. What's their personal brand? Right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I think nowadays we're definitely in this environment where with like Instagram and with all these different things, you know, yeah. people are really pushing mottos and they're pushing brands, you know? So, I mean, you think about it and it's like, what is that brand known for? Right. And typically it comes out as like a motto or a slogan. So with Nike, you know, it's like, it's just do it right. Adidas, nothing is impossible. Um, Disney has one where it's, you know, first think, second, believe third dream and finally dare. Right. And they oh, want to, yeah. And they want to push, you know, and they're trying to create a world where, you know, magic seems like a, a, a reality. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, those are the things that people they're known for. Um, and there's even a quote, uh, I think there's, and this is going to kind of segue into it, but Daniel has a clip for us that he may be able to pull up. Um, and it's a guy, Inky Johnson, kind of talking about it, right? And so he talks about Nike and he talks about Adidas and then he talks about, you know, what I guess you're defined as um, and, and what you stand for. So I think Daniel can go ahead. And when I look that. at people, I always ask the question, I say, man, tell me what Nike stands for. It's you know what? I thought I had it, but I'm not sharing it yet. Let's try again. <laughs> okay. All right, let's try again. Here we go. 
I'm gonna turn down the volume. It started playing on its own. I don't know why I did that. All right, here we go. When I look at people, I always ask the question. I say, man, tell me what Nike stands for. They said, oh, Ink, that's easy, just do it. I said, tell me what Adidas stands for. Oh, Ink, that's easy, man, impossible is nothing. I said, now tell me what you stand for. I said, when people look at you, do they think excuses? When people look at you, do they think victory? When people look at you, do they think that's a person that's going to give me everything they got, not on some days, but on every day, and it's not going to be predicated upon if I feel like it, because I think we all know if we only worked on the days when we felt like it, none of us would get much accomplished. I'm speaking of the commitment that says, I am going to stay true to what I said I would do long after the mood that I've set it in his life. Perfect. Yeah, so... So why did we show that video? And <laughs> again, I'm super sloppy with these transitions, but we're going to get there. Yeah, it's a part of the learning process. Exactly. Yeah, but, you know, as you kind of saw in the video, um, you know, so like he talks about it, kind of the same thing. He says, you know, what does Nike stand for? Oh, you know, that's easy. Just do it. What does Adidas stand for? Nothing is impossible. And then he brings up, you know, what do you stand for? And then he kind of builds on that with, you know, whenever people see you and he's an inspirational speaker or a motivational speaker. So his are going to be a little bit more towards, you know, what you're like as a person. And so he, he says, you know, whenever people see you, what do they think? Um, but I mean, it's a similar concept, right? So like whenever people, you know, hear about you joining a team or, or being on a project or whatever, it's like, is that, you know, is that somebody that I'm excited to work for or work uh -huh. with? Or is that somebody that it's like, oh, I, I really wish that we had gotten somebody else you know, it's, um, you know, the same way that maybe you would think about athletes on like a fantasy team, you know, it's like, you know, is that, is that a guy that's going to be dependable? It's going to get me a lot of fantasy points, or is this somebody that like, uh, he's like, I just needed to fill up a running back two spot. And so I just yeah. picked up somebody. Right. Yeah. And so it's somebody that's going to, you know, ride the bench or maybe I can trade him out and get somebody a little bit better, you know? So it's, you know, it's, it's, what are you like, you know, what, what do you bring to the team? And uh, we want to focus on bringing something that is going to provide value to, to a team or, or to whatever situation that you're in. Yeah. Okay. So, so what are the things that go into building your personal brand? I, I think that one of the most important things is we've touched on it briefly, but it's your personal values, right? So, and how do these values come through in your work? So if, if your personal value is perseverance, that's one of my personal values then the way that that comes through in my work is that I'm not going to be the first one to just drop something. And if I'm, if I'm working on something and I have a task that I know is I'm capable of doing and it's a task I need to done, then I'm going to, I'm going to persevere to make sure that that task is done. I'm not going to just drop that task and say, Oh, it's not possible. So right. what are, what are some of your personal values and how do they relay into what you do on a daily basis at work? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, th I think whenever you start thinking about what you bring to the team, I think you want to try and avoid uh, the things that are pretty like cliche, I guess. So, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking specifically with engineers. So um, everybody with an engineering degree, they have some sort of credibility towards their intelligence level or towards the amount, like, you know, their ability to learn. Um, so you want to try and focus on, on, you know, like the intangibles, right? The things that you can bring to the uh to the table that um you may not necessarily get out of like a uh, a degree right yeah. so for mine i think uh mine is um i guess relatability so i think whenever people interact with me i think they they see like a uh 
someone that has a lot like um interacts really well with people um and can make people feel comfortable um but also they can tell that i'm um excited and that i, I want to uh work with people right i want yeah. i want to drive towards you know the end goal of helping everybody out um and the other thing that i would like to think that <laughs> i'm known for that i'm i'm good for is um you know quality of work you know that was always something that was you know really hard pressed whenever i was getting my engineering degree and that was always something that i um I probably worry about a little too much, right? Is that, yeah. you know, I, I want to be conscious of the work that I'm putting out and the deliverables, but because, you know, whenever that's like the biggest thing um, that people are going to no notice you for, right? So like yeah. the work that you do, that's potentially going to get passed up the chain and somebody that doesn't even know who you are is going to see that and say, oh, this is, <laughs> we can't use this, right? Like this is unusable or this isn't any good. Um, and we're going to have to redo it. Um, so I try and be in a situation where it's like they look at it and they say, oh, this is really well done. This is something that we can use or this is exactly what I'm looking for. So I think that's something that um, that I deliver to the table or that I bring to the table. So that's your personal your personal value is high quality of work and yeah. your relatability. And that kind of yeah. translates into the next thing about the next biggest part about your brand is your what is your unique value proposition? So yours is is that somebody can always I mean, it's crazy to say that maybe this is unique, but yours is is that they can always expect a high quality piece of product. It's gonna be professional, it's gonna be that that is your one of your unique value proposition, but it's taking in the aspects of your personal values and your background, your education, your interests, your career goals, your skills all together. And then your that all comes together and forms your unique value proposition. So one of my unique value propositions is, is that I have a very, I guess, a, a wide lens understanding of the context around the things that I'm working in, but I'm able to work in a very narrow work scope. I, and I, I don't know how better to, to describe that, but, but, but my, one of my unique value propositions is, is earlier in my career, I have a very good breadth of understanding of the way things work in a larger sense. So, and that's from the roles that I've worked in. That's uh, the people that I have worked with in my roles and responsibilities. And then my ability to then communicate those things is a function of my education and my background. So that that is what I've pulled together as one of my unique value propositions. What what would you say is your unique value proposition that goes into your brand? Um, so I think my, uh, I guess, unique value proposition is that, um, and this is something that maybe some perceive as a weakness, but I, I tried and twist it into a strength, is that yes. I have um, experience in a lot of different roles and a lot of different aspects of things, right? So whenever I first started my career, originally I was in design, so I understood how the design aspect of things worked. Um, mm -hmm. And then after that, I, you know, was actually out in the field working um, as just, you know, uh, like a skilled labor, you know, trades craft kind of person. So I got to see how work in places performed and how, um, I guess, work is actually done right down to a foreman and a journeyman or a helper level. Yeah. Um, and so I understand like how they think and what goes into it. Um, and then I also have some experience with, uh, I guess the project management and the construction side of things. Right. So I have an understanding of how contracts are built out, how, you know, financially things go into place and how things work. Um, but also like, you know, planning out work, 
and how that needs to be done um, and things that you can do to ensure uh, a, a good quality, um, I guess a, a good quality of work is, is done or whatever yeah. you're trying to accomplish is, is, is achieved. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't necessarily do, especially not three or four years into their career, maybe yeah. at 10 or 15, you've experienced some of these things. Um, yeah. but yeah, for me, like three years into my, my career, having, uh, I don't want to say been able to, but being put in the situations that I was in, I'm able to kind of capitalize on that. Yeah, exactly. Thanks Luke. So, yeah, yeah so, so we, our, our val we know what a brand is. Our values drive our brand. Our values contribute to what our unique value proposition is. And the overall that together kind of builds the override overall identity of what our professional brand is. So what kind of engineer you want to be known as is, is Luke's talked about precision, timeliness, quality of work, preparedness, good communicator. And I mean, team player, I mean, we, ideally we want to be all of those things, but, but focusing on demonstrating those things, um, focusing on, on sorry i got a notification that the stream was uh fell apart but it's back together all right um but focusing on 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 those specific character traits of of of, of a worker contributes to you then building your professional brand and it being a positive brand that other people talk about and then the, now that we've built our brand i think that there's some action items right around brand building so the first one i think is is by advocating for yourself, right? So not only do you have to work on your brand, but then you have to kind of push your brand. So what does that look like? So for me, that looks like knowing when your promotion cycle is and whenever your merit increase cycle is. So most companies have promotion cycles and merit increases. So at any point in, any point in one year, you could be eligible for both promotion and merit increase. And part of that is advocating based on your brand. So collecting those data data points and like, hey, I, my, my work product has been really high. I've gotten feedback that my work product's really high. So, and, and, and kind of pushing that up to your manager so that your manager either knows that you're, that you're eligible for a merit increase or maybe using those things to advocate for specific positions that you want to get promoted into. So personal, being a personal advocate is super important and having a good understanding of what your professional brand is will then equip you to be a better professional personal advocate for yourself yeah absolutely um and i mean also i think you know and this is going to be kind of into your next point but that's also a good opportunity for you to to get some constructive feedback not only um you know i think you should have some sort of self-assessment of that so you should be aware of like what you're good at what you're not good at but also you know kind of the route that you want to take right so if you want to be um you know, and I guess this is kind of where you want to take your career, right? So like if you um, are looking to take your career into being, um, you know, like if you re are really good with design and that's kind of like the route that you want to go, like you want to be a, a senior PE or, or a lead engineer or something like that, like you have to, you know, build a brand around, you know, the quality of work that's being performed and uh, the success of the design that you're getting into if you're looking to be a manager you know and then you have to you know potentially like look into branding yourself and putting yourself in a situation where you can take on responsibilities of other people where you can develop other engineers around you 
Um, and so I think you have to do a little bit of a self-assessment of yourself. Um, but also, you know, going back to that, like, that's a really good opportunity for you to get some constructive feedback, right? Some constructive yeah. criticism. You know, you can talk to your manager and say, hey, you know, what are some things that you would like for me to see me work on as, you know, as an engineer, as a person, as a team member? You know, do I do I play well with others? Right. Like if I'm in a meeting with somebody, <laughs> am I just condescending towards people? Right. I mean, yeah. and sometimes like you have to, you, you know, you're not always going to be around engineers. Sometimes yeah. you're going to be around, you know, um, people that, you know, maybe come from the field. Right. And so you're around yeah. uh, craft. Yeah you know, journeyman or yep. whatever. And so you're going to have to play well with them. Like you can't be condescending towards them and say, oh, well, you just wouldn't understand because you're not an yeah. engineer. And it's like the, the the level of knowledge that they bring into the table. And so, you know, that's an opportunity for you to, um, you know, get some feedback on on what you're like and how things that you can improve on. So that way you can take a take a step in the right direction over the next year or things that you can note that, hey, I, I really need to be, you know, whenever I'm in a meeting, I really need to be open and receptive to other people, right? I need to, yeah. you know, not look at them in in a poor light, but say, hey, you know, let's see what they bring to the table and let's work with them, right? And put yourself in a good situation. Um, so. Exactly. And, and that self-assessment that assessment process comes through you either through your corporate performance and development program doing that self-assessment, or if, if your men, if your manager is not really the mentor that you need for that, then you you know identify another mentor that you can do that self assessment with somebody that that's in a position that you aspire to be in that you can kind of do that assessment with and say hey like 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 just like you know one one person to another you you've worked with me you what's your perception of me and, and what are some areas that you think I can grow in to kind of grow into where I want to be because you're brought you're advocating for yourself where you want to be and then the people in that position can give you feedback on how you get there so. Yeah, I think that thank you, Luke, for bringing up this topic. Personal branding is is exceptionally important. It's it, the, the brand is important because it's how people know you. It's it's how people talk about you and it's it's your avenue to career growth. So thank you, Luke, for bringing up this topic. Uh, I don't have any other things to say about it. Anything, any other closing comments from you on the importance of a personal brand or a professional brand? Um, I mean, I think, I think the big thing is just, <clears throat> um, don't get too caught up in just the deliverables, right? Remember that you're like, one of the things that you offer or bring to a company is also who you are as a person. So do remember that whenever you, you know, you're going through and you're developing yourself as a younger, uh, young professional and a young engineer, it's like, Hey, you know, I bring more to the table than just somebody that can output work, right? You know, I'm a human being and I provide certain insights and, I have certain things that people are going to look for. Um, and also again, back to the, like the self-performance thing and the mentorship. Um, I think that is a really good opportunity, right. Is to ask your mentor, ask somebody that you work closely with, but I think also, you know, reach out to other people too, right. Other people that you work with and say, Hey, you know, like whenever you work with me, like, what do you think? Like, what do you think I could improve on? What do you think? I do? What do you think I do? Well, what do you think I not do well? Right. So for instance, you know, like I was working, um, Whenever I was uh, a project engineer, I worked on the, I guess, the concrete side of things, or I worked with um, structural and foundations. But of course, like we interact with electrical, we interact with MEP. And, you know, so you can sit down with the electrical or the MEP manager and say, hey, you know, like, what, how do you feel like working with me? 
right? Y'all, I mean, you're a part of the same company, you're part of the same team, and exactly. they can provide some really, you know, some good feedback. Now, you you may need to uh, have a have some thick skin because they may say, "Well, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't think you really bring a whole lot to the table." You know, I think oh, no. you need to do this. Yeah, and I mean. That may just be because you're young or, I mean, they can say, well, you know, we see that you're bright and that you're intelligent, um, or I know that you're bright and you're intelligent, but you don't seem to take a lot of initiative, right? Or you don't seem to chime in whenever it's appropriate. And I, I think you need to have a little bit more confidence and all those are good things, right? All those things are things that you can work on and that you can improve on um, because they're giving you good feedback. They're, t- they're saying good things about you but you're not capitalizing on what you have to bring to the table. So um, just, I mean, I guess just remember those things and uh, just remember that you're developing as a person and an engineer, just as much as you are um, trying to refine your ability to be productive and produce work. Exactly. Well, I think that's a perfect way to close out this segment. So thank you, Luke. Let's take a quick breather. If you're listening to the podcast format, you'll get an ad break here. And then we'll come back here. All right. So now that we have done our intro segment, our recurring segment is, as always, this week in LinkedIn Lunatics. So our first one is a double whammy. I, I'm calling it this week in Elon Simps. Um, so we have, a, a, in my opinion, a double lunatic here. So let's 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 see what I found. So here we go, Luke. First one is, I'm sure it is as simple as employees being lazy. So this is a person, we've blurred out their name. They have, somebody else blurred out their name. They have come up with this uh, hypothetical conversation that says, hey, Elon Musk, hey team, we're going to have to work hard. Twitter employees, what? That's so crazy. I quit. Elon Musk, nice. All my lazy, complacent employees are out of here and now I can build an absolute powerhouse with the best of the best. Twitter employees who quit. Uh, Yeah, I quit my last job because our CEO said we had to work hard. So anyway, I think I'll be a great fit for your organization. And then here's number two. Again, people just keep on coming up with these these hypothetical conversations that they think happened between Elon. Uh, Twitter engineer, what is this thing called work? Elon Musk, we pay you $300,000 per year in exchange. We expect you to write code. Twitter engineer, that's unfair. I thought I was getting paid to do nothing. Elon Musk, not anymore. Twitter engineer, I quit. All right, so it seems like people just have this perception that all the people that 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 no longer work for Twitter anymore just did not care about working. <laughs> what do you think, Luke? I mean, you don't, I don't understand. Like, I pe- people have different opinions, and people can float on different sides of the aisle on how, whether or not they think that Elon Musk is doing a very good job. But I think it's an absolute mischaracterization to say that all the people that don't want to work in the Elon Musk type of work environment are lazy people that don't want to try. Because I think that that's a mischaracterization. I mean, I, I, I have known people that have worked at SpaceX. I've known people, I, I don't know anybody personally that works at Tesla, but I know some people that have worked at SpaceX. And that is, that's not a good work-life balance from what I've heard. So I have no, I don't, I don't blame people for not wanting to work in that environment. And additionally, a lot of these people are leaving because the conditions of their employment have, have changed, right? So people negotiated their salary based on 
remote work and maybe they don't live anywhere in proximity to an office or there, there's other benefits that, that I'm hearing from at least what I'm watching on Twitter is that pe people's people's compensation structure is changing uh, based on different things that they no longer have access to. So I have, I mean, and, and if your hours are, you're working, go up and your compensation doesn't change, then I, I have no aspirations, no, no aspirations against anybody who's leaving that environment. However, I will say that I do think there's a recession coming. So maybe going out on the open job market right now, maybe not the best thing, but I don't know. What do you think? That was a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. So I find it very unlikely that all those people um, would leave Twitter and leave a job, especially if they're paying $300,000 a year. I think I find it very hard to believe that all of them would, would leave because there was a sudden expectation that they're actually supposed to start delivering work, right? That they're actually supposed to start being productive. I'm, I'm sure that if they're being compensated $300,000 a year, that... Um, they are already outputting work, right? Like they're already imagine. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's really hard to validate somebody at $300,000 a year. Um, and also Twitter is uh, profitable. So if you're paying all these people, and they're not doing anything, um, like why, like, that's just going to be really bad for overhead. If you, <laughs> if you have a bunch of people that or you're paying a bunch of people for them to not be doing anything whenever it's pretty much like a completely automated system, right? And they could just, you know, not have anybody working for them and still make the ridiculous amount of money that they are. Um, I think the likelihood of what it is and why people are leaving, I think it's more of a, a, a cultural change. And I think, you know, Elon coming in, I think it's just things that they don't line up with as, uh, you know, people and with the previous culture that Twitter had. Um, and I mean, of course, that's, you know, going into a little bit of, of politics, which we don't want to discuss here. But I think that's probably the biggest reason that people would be leaving Twitter. Um, and yeah, also, they, I mean, everything's changed. Yeah, it's just not yeah. the same. It's not the same environment to work in. That's down to the culture of the company, which we've talked right a bunch about. If you want to work for a company, you want the company to be a cultural fit for you. That's one yeah. of the things we've talked about. So if it's no longer a cultural fit for you, then that's fine to leave. And so I don't understand why people, yeah. all the Elon Hive is just so up in arms about it. Like people are just leaving because they don't want to work there anymore. And yeah. the conditions of their employment have changed from the work environment to their compensation structure, in my opinion. So I, I don't understand all the people that are, I mean, here I am being a little bit of a hypocrite because I, I definitely put this topic on the podcast because uh, my Elon YouTube videos are getting more views than the other ones. So I'm kind of farming karma myself, but that's what these people are doing. Doing They're farming karma. Okay. I'm just doing it openly and I'm telling everybody I'm doing it. So I am, yeah. I'm 100%. This is 100% on the podcast because the Elon content people watch it. So that's why I'm doing yeah. it. And that is the same reason why these people are doing it, but they're doing it on LinkedIn and I don't like it. I don't yeah. like it. That's why I put it here. I don't like it. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think the other big thing too is that like um, some of those companies, you know, like take Amazon, for example, like Amazon is a big one that kind of doesn't get discussed unless you know people that work there or you have an opportunity to work there. Um, Amazon has ridiculously high turnover rates, right? Yeah. I mean, even at the, you know, management or the professional level, you know, I know people that I know a guy um, that works with works with a friend of mine 
um, he got an offer at Amazon and it was like a 30 or 40 K pay increase. And he's like, well, absolutely. I mean, he was already making a lot of money. He was working for, for, uh, one of the big oil and gas companies. And so he had the opportunity to jump over to Amazon and his mindset going into it was, okay, I'll, I'll work there for two, three, four years with the understanding that it's not very good with my work-life balance. It's not where I want to be for the rest of my life. Um, but I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to get a lot of experience and it's something that's going to be a resume builder. And I think, you know, whenever people first started with Twitter, they had the thought that, okay, you know, this is going to be something that I can make a career out of, right. I can be here for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, depending on whenever they came in and started working for Twitter. And now, you know, I'm sure Elon, as you know, as you kind of mentioned with SpaceX, it's going to be a little bit of a similar thing, right. Where they're just, he's just going to make them like workhorses and they're, they're just going to be expected to work potentially, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And it's not going to be good for the work-life balance. It's like, look, I got, I have kids at home. I have, you know, a wife that I actually want to spend time with and, and uh, live life. And so it's just like, it's just not a cultural fit. And I think the big thing that people are hung up on is the fact that these Twitter employees are making a lot of money and they're stepping away from it due to, you know, reason like, people can't fathom it right because people are stuck in this world of like well i make eighty thousand dollars a year i would do anything for a two hundred and twenty thousand dollar pay increase but you know whenever you're at that point there's a good chance that even if in a world where you are making three hundred thousand dollars a year you could probably step into another role that's going to pay you somewhat similarly and you'll have that better work-life balance so why why would you continue to work yourself to death whenever you have this opportunity somewhere else yeah, exactly. And, and and I'll close with this. Um, Elon, Twitter, CEO of Twitter, like it or love it, he's ma- he's a he's he's the profit decision maker, right? He owns profit and loss, so he is as a CEO or whatever role he's appointed himself. Uh, but he's he's majorly influencing profit and loss, so he's making profit and loss decisions for Twitter, the company, and Twitter, the employees have the they are their own corporations as employees you're your own corporation you are trying to maintain profit and loss for your household so all of the people just like elon musk has the ability to do whatever he wants um they have the the ability to do whatever they want as well so uh elon hive chill out yeah Um, but anyways that's what we're all doing is we're all farming karma after elon because uh he sells all right, so I, I give them a uh, ten out of ten for LinkedIn lunatics on LinkedIn. Uh, Luke, can we chime in with a score? I, I I mean I think it's pretty high up there. I mean also the the fact of it the the truth of the matter is there's a lot of speculation here because they don't have all the details. I mean they're just hearing you know like through the grapevine you know it's probably a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh source. Yeah. Um, and so it's all been like convoluted and all like out of whack. Um. But they don't have all the details. They don't know like the truth of the matter. Um, so they're just making a very generalized statement, which is which is inappropriate. Um, so yeah, I would say nine or ten because you shouldn't have an opinion on it unless you're directly involved. Amen. All right, let's go into the next one. This one says, my first startup was acquired by Oracle. My second startup was acquired by Dropbox. My third and current startup is valued at more than $1 billion. My co-founders and I have used the same set of principles to start all three companies. One, find a problem that's huge and painful. Two, understand that problem more deeply than anyone else. 
Three, assemble a team that is uniquely qualified to solve that problem. And four, never stop talking to your customers. And this was posted in LinkedIn Lunatics. And I'll give my first take. I don't think this, this is really much of a lunatic take at all. I mean, it is written like a LinkedIn Lunatic post where we got all these lines, but I guess the, the algorithm says that people on LinkedIn can only read things that are one sentence and then space and then one sentence and then one sentence space. Apparently, I, I, maybe that's just the algorithm. So he's definitely trying to farm some karma and maybe push his startup. But um, I mean, I think these are pretty generally good, uh, good points, advice uh, for I mean, very basic, but they're good points. And this whole comment that I think this guy likes to sell his startups. I, I mean, shoot. I mean, he looks like he's doing a pretty good job of it. <laughs> so, yeah, like, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I have no I have no negative uh, impressions against this man for being able to very successfully sell his startups. I mean, good. Good on him. I, I wish I could do that. Yeah, I mean, that's some people make a profession out of doing that. Right. I mean, like yeah. you look at. I mean, look at all the people that go on like uh, like Shark Tank, right? They invented, I mean, theirs is a, a product typically, right? It's some mm -hmm. sort of invention or some sort of um, conceptual idea. And they, they're, well, that's what they're doing, right? They created something, now they want to sell it to somebody. They want, um, I mean, sometimes they sell the whole thing. Sometimes they're, they're only selling off 10%. But people make a profession out of, you know, with out of startups, right? And so what he's doing, uh, I think that's a pretty... It's very generic, but I, yeah. I think if you can find that, like if you can find a situation where you do find a problem that's huge and painful, there's a lot of money in in um, in products that will make ease of use or user interface significantly easier or streamlined. There is a lot of money to be made there. So if you can find that, find a problem, understand that problem, and then pull together a team that can solve it and sell it off. And, yeah, I mean, he's making, you know, millions and billions of dollars. If, if what like he's it. saying yeah. is true, yeah, then yeah, like that's, that's what some people do as a profession. And that's how some people make millions and billions of dollars. Yeah, I'm just impressed on I mean, if these are actually his first three startups, which I don't know what he's using to characterize what is and what isn't to start up, then that's a uh, that's pretty it's a pretty good track record. Uh, so yeah. as you can see, I commented down below, looks like he's super successful, good on him not a lunatic and yes people you will find me trolling in the comment sections of all these subreddits that i pull from uh, so I, I would say not a lunatic zero out of ten how about you yeah um yeah i would say i would say not a lunatic the only the only thing that i would be cautious about is that his startup probably did not end up becoming oracle and his startup probably did not become end up becoming dropbox he probably created some sort of facet within Oracle or within Dropbox. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I don't think he's a lunatic. Um, I think he's just trying to deliver good advice. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I don't have an issue with it. Also, I, I just want to point out, we, we use the word lunatic, because of the, the, the name of the segment, we are throwing around the word lunatic pretty loosely. The only reason why we're using the word lunatic is because it starts with a letter L and it's the name of the subreddit. So, not actually calling anybody a lunatic because i feel like that's probably, not, probably pretty harsh but anyways i feel like i planned it with that <laughs> all right so let's take a quick break and then uh how many how many career questions do you want to answer luke as many as we have time for did you get to the guy that was um 
saying something in the, in the chat. Did you want to answer that one? Uh, I, I sent him an email and I had some follow-up questions for him. So we'll, we'll I'm going to wait for some follow-up questions to, to my email chain that I have with him. And then I will respond a little bit more to that probably in the next episode. Okay. That'll work. All right. Let's cut to a break. And we're back. Perfect. Next question. Would you opt for a company offering you permanent employment, but very low pay or a company offering you a one year contract with significantly higher pay? I have a job offer from a legal tech company that offered me a permanent position with a pay of 36 pounds. 36,000 pounds, not 36 pounds. However, I have an offer from a law firm that's offering me an associate program, but on a one-year contract pending my performance review, after which they may extend it or make it permanent. The law firm is offering me 120,000 pounds. I met with, I mean, with a legal tech company, I can work my way up as it is a junior. But of course, the salaries may not get as high as what I could receive in the private law firm. The working hours are flexible. I can work from home, laid back culture, and of course, the position will be permanent. But the law firm obviously offers a lot more money and benefits. Okay, interesting. It's not just the contract, it's also the benefits. So I guess there's benefits on top of this 120,000 pounds? I'm going to assume there is. Uh, the working hours will be deplorable. Okay, define deplorable. And I may have no life. Okay, <laughs> define no life. And I'm also worried about what would happen if I do not get my contract extended after one year. I want to go with the law firm, even though I might not have as much of a life. I don't know. I could save a lot more salary as a rainy day fund as I look for something more time-friendly at the end of my contract. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and start by saying... Okay, go for it. The, the dollars are not like... As, your life is more likely to be deplorable if you're broke. And... Like, I, I mean, I mean, I think that like making four, three times as much money is, I mean, the, the work environment would have to be so, 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 I mean, we, we just got off talking about this with Twitter. So maybe I'm going to sound like I'm flipping a dial here, but like, it's not even close. Like, it's not yeah. even close. I mean, I would take the 120,000 pounds and then I'd start looking for my next job now. And then, and, and, and spend that one, that one year, not only letting them evaluate you on the contract, but also you're evaluating them. So take the $120,000 job, and then read your contract to make sure that you, you understand what your obligations are under the contracts. So you're not putting yourself in this position where you could be in breach, but then go ahead and start looking for, start evaluating that company and evaluating other companies and, and seeing what, what would be the good fit for you. But, but man, you have a lot more money and benefits. I mean, your life will be, even though your work life maybe lacks, your life will be, I mean, I don't know what, where you are living, but whenever you're looking at that big of a pay disparity, your your quality of life is going to be significantly different um, based on the income there. So I would say definitely go with the one that makes three times as much money. Luke, what do you say? Um, I mean, I think this goes back to what we talked about on our the last time I was on the podcast, right? Is that you have to do you have to weigh your options. And so if 36,000 pounds a year is a, is a livable wage and it's the quality of life that you, um, that, you know, you're expecting or that you're willing to, to work with them or live with them, 
And, yeah. and, and that's, what's important to you is the laid back culture, working from home, um, job security, right? Cause if the position is going to be permanent, I mean, that's, you know, that takes a lot of stress off. So if that's, what's important to you and you can make that 36,000 pounds a year work, um, then, I mean, go for it. I don't, I don't see why, why you wouldn't. However, uh, I think that there are a lot of steps that you can take in the right direction with the law firm that's offering 120,000 pounds a year. Um, so, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, Daniel, um, you know, you, you get in there and there's a good chance that like, if you work in there, it's going to be a good reference for your next job. So you get in there, you work there for a year, and then you look at other law firms and you look, you look to them. So you kind of have them on the back burner and at least, you know, right? Like at least you have kind of, you can build a game plan around the fact that you're only going to be there, potentially only be there for a year. Now, I mean, if you're a good, if you're a good lawyer, then, you know, you yeah. could potentially have a career there. Um, and so just you be ready for it. Right. And then, you know, at your next job, maybe you can get a similar kind of situation where it's more of a laid back culture. You can work from home, but you can argue for, argue for a higher salary. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if it was me, I would probably take the larger salary just because I think there's more upsides than just um, just the salary. I think it's probably connections. You're going to have significantly higher connections or you're going to have just a very reputable resume working there. Um, and then I think, uh, it'll be like, it'll again, be like good experience, but then, you know, with more money and more benefits, the life that you live outside of work is going to be significantly better for you. Yeah. You may not have much of a life and it may be like long hours. And I'm sure as a lawyer, whenever you say long hours, you're looking at 14, 16 hours a day for five to six days a week. Um, but you know, whenever you get those weekends or whenever you get those days off, you know, you can have the chance to travel, you have the chance to, um, you know, get the things that you want or, you know, have a, a nicer place to live or, you know, buy a house sooner and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, that's the one that I, I would go for, but, yeah. uh, I mean, ultimately, you know, I can't make that decision for you. I can just give you, give you advice on what I would do or the way that I would look at it. So, yeah. And I, I'd also look at it in this perspective, and I'll, I'll close with this: no job is permanent. So yeah, they, it's, they yeah. say it's permanent employment, but I mean, they they could just, they could easily dismiss you. I mean, unless there's employment laws that are different in the country that this person is in that I'm not familiar with. But I mean, you could just as easily get fired from yeah, yeah. So I mean, unless there's employment laws at play here that I'm not aware of, then take that into consideration. But yeah, I mean, there's just a significant opportunity cost here by choosing the thirty six thousand over the one hundred and twenty thousand. So I would say yeah. take the bigger money. Uh, and if worst case scenario it's just for a year, so spend that entire time evaluating whether or not you want to renew with them yourself after that year. Because yeah. I think it'll be a lot easier for you to find another thirty six thousand dollar a year job. Um, it's going to be a little bit harder for you to find another one hundred and twenty thousand dollar a year job, but. When you make yeah. that money, then you're also setting that standard that this is my compensation level. This is the kind of compensation I expect. Absolutely. And you can kind of leverage that a little bit better um, whenever you're moving in, moving throughout your career. So that's what I have to say, but I, I wish you the best of luck. And, and save, um, save that money. Save that yeah, extra money. Save that money. Exactly. Don't blow it because then what? <laughs> yeah, because then if you can't find work for six months, you have something that you can lean back on. Yes, sir. All right, next one. How do you manage to leave work at work? 
I'm about four years into a mechanical engineering career and I'm struggling to walk away at the end of the day and not keep working on it in my head all night. Part of it is that I know what the next step is and can execute it to a point that I just need to write it down in the morning. The other part is that I'm afraid that I'll forget what that next step is unless I just knock it out, even if I write down what the next step is before I leave. What are your tricks for being able to walk away from work? So I'll, I'll, I'll give a, a little quick answer and then I'll, I'll hand over to you, Luke. So I kind of use the last, the, the last thing that I do before I leave work every single day, and, and this is my activity that I do before I shut down, is I kind of do a debrief on my day the things that I've accomplished that day and so that that way I can effectively remember what I did and explain it to anybody else if anybody else has any questions and then I also do a notes like say here's the things that need to get done tomorrow and and kind of give myself the, the notes that I need to frame things up and, and that's my last activity of the day I frame in a little bit of time at the end of the day before I shut down that I actively focus on planning for my next day and what, I, what else I need to do by the end of that week and all my other upcoming deliverables. That's the last activity I do every day is planning what I'm going to do the next day so that that way I can kind of step away from work. What do you do, Luke? Yeah, I mean, I think, <clears throat> um, I think you just have to kind of, uh, one, come up with a process like what, what you're talking about, Daniel. I think you have to come up with a process that allows you to leave work at work um, yeah. But the other thing, too, is that I think you need to kind of get into the mental headspace of saying, hey, you know, like work is done for the day. There's nothing else that I can do, um, mm -hmm. you know, and just accept that, you know, like whatever wasn't done for the day, it'll get done tomorrow. Right. And I mean, that's yeah. that's the biggest thing, um, because, you know, if you're continuously thinking about it all day, I mean, like how, how much of that is going to cut into your personal life? You know, if you're out with because I mean, like what happens if you have plays after work right like what happens if you're going out to get a drink with a buddy of yours and you know like you're you stop thinking about work um and then all of a sudden you come back in the next day or you go back to you know you go back to your place and you're getting ready you know to go to sleep and start the next day what happens if you yeah. can't remember it then right like you're putting yeah. yourself in a situation where you could potentially not be successful just for the fact that you're not constantly thinking about work all the time so I think you need to try and find that balance and try and, you know, look at things and say, hey, you know, like work is paying me for, you know, 40 hours a week. Um, you know, that's that's the expectation, 40, 45, 50, whatever, whatever the expectation is. And so, like, I'm going to I'm going to do that and do my part to do 40 hours. They're not asking for my life. They're not asking for this constant, um, you know, thought process throughout the day. And, you know, constantly being feeling like I'm at work and on the job and thinking about ways to fix solutions, leave that stuff at work, you know, and I think a lot of it is just, you've got to, you've, you've got to take that mental step and that get into that headspace of saying, Hey, I'm leaving work. We're leaving that at home, but you know, we're leaving that there. I'm, I'm coming home and I'm not going to think about it anymore. Yeah. And I think that it, along with the mindset thing, the, the way that I, I describe it is that you, you get to work, right? You, you start your work at a certain time of the day, a certain time of the each You go to work on certain dates. You, that, that is whenever you go to work because you have that you're prioritizing that time as that is work time. So you're going to go to work that day and you're going to go to work from those hours. You're going to be at work at least that time. Uh, 
because you schedule it and you prioritize it and you have to schedule your personal time the same way you have to treat it like it that is the time that you have as personal time and you're going to prioritize it as such and you're going to uh cut off time just like how you cut off time in the morning to go drive to work you're going to cut off time at the end of the day to drive home that is your activity that is your planned thing your planned time is not working and and that's the thing is that you know work time is 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 time that is scheduled right and we we don't have necessarily the same perception some people don't have that perception about their personal time but their personal time that is a scheduled time of the day that you're no longer working and, and and treating it like that will will help you kind of prioritize that. And I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world because I bring work home all the time. But um, that is what I try to do. I'm not perfect, but that is what I try to do. Yeah, yeah. I think we I think we all tend to fall into this trap of of uh, work kind of bleeding over into our personal lives. But yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is just trying to get into that headspace of saying, hey, like, I we're 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 done. Right. So like if you have to take, you know, an extra hour of your workday, remembering that solution or coming back to that that conclusion uh, of whatever you're trying to work on, then that's time allocated towards what that is anyway. So take that time during during your work days to do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have three more. Let's get through them real nice and quick. All right. Next one. What do college interns actually do during internships? Oh, this will be fun for us to talk about. I'm a soon-to-graduate high school student, and I intend to pursue a degree in aerospace engineering. And it is, in my it is my understanding that in college, especially summer before junior and senior years, internships are very important for career development. What do these interns actually do? Do they get paid? I've seen things that say yes, but these students aren't college graduates yet, so what can they actually do? So... Let's touch on this first. Uh, they should get paid, right, Luke? Should they get paid? Uh, depending on the internship, but for an engineering degree, I think that there is a competitive market, enough of a competitive market that you should be getting paid. Sweet. And I think they always should get paid, but, you know, that, that, that's my shtick. All right, perfect. All right, now that we've established that, all right, what did these interns actually do? So let's talk about what we did in our internship. I'd say it was a mix of tasks that we had assigned to us, tasks that we demonstrated interest in and then got put onto ourselves, and then also generic intern-specific things. Is that a pretty good summary or am I missing anything? You actually did work during your internship? I did do work during my internship, Luke. Contrary to popular belief, I, when I go to work, I actually do work. How about you? Did you not do any work, Luke? Yeah, no, I I did some work. So um, you did you did more than me, that's for sure. Uh, I did I did like a couple of takeoffs, and that was kind of the the main thing yeah. that I well, did. I, yeah, I think the big thing that interns do is. Um, First, you're kind of networking and you're getting the chance to meet people and you're getting the chance to meet professionals. Um, yeah. But I mean, the biggest task that you should probably be doing while you're there is um, you should be learning about the company and learning about culture um, and learning about, you know, what the expectations is for you whenever you get out of out of school and whenever you start working. Um, and then also, you know, what your expectations for what the company should be like for you. Um, now there will be some things that you will be able to complete and do without having a degree. Like there are some things that 
even that I do that I don't need an engineering degree to have done, right? Like, you know, um, some sort of, you know, data analytics, or maybe, you know, if I have experience with model, which you should by junior and senior year, you should have some experience with modeling. So maybe, you know, you just go in there and, and do some, um, some modeling. Maybe you can do some basic, uh, design stuff. Um, but those are all things that you, you can do. And so there will be work that you can actually accomplish. And some internships are even sophisticated enough that you'll have some sort of project. Um, and so, ours. yeah, yeah. And so I'm sure, I, I don't know, maybe, uh, I, I don't remember the exact plot of the movie, but, um, the one with Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn, whenever they went to intern at Google, like they I had a project. remember that one. What's it called? Uh, I don't remember exactly, but they, they had up. a, but they had a project, right? They had something that they had to work on with a team of other interns throughout the, the summer. Internship. Was it the internship? Yeah, okay. that yeah, it. that's yeah. that's what I thought. I wanted to say the intern, but that wasn't right. But yeah, so during that movie, I mean, it's similar to that, right? You'll get assigned some sort of task or some sort of project that will be rudimentary enough or basic enough that you don't need an actual engineering degree. You don't need nine months or 12 months to do it. So, you know, you can do that during your internship. Yeah, exactly. But then other people, I mean, depending on what kind of interest you, you demonstrate and stuff like that, um, you 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 might have other things that you could do um um you know it, it, for example I, I really wanted to be involved in helping to put together an estimate and i was an estimating intern so i i got involved and they pulled me in to help do some takeoffs and that was for an actual project and when i was an intern working in a machine shop it was a much more hands-on internship so i, I had a lot of um uh, you know, it, it, it was, uh, it, it just depends on the nature of the internship, but you can, you can do things. So, um, yeah, sweet. All right. But yeah, college interns actually do things. It's, it's paid. Um, but yeah, uh, depending on what capabilities you show and what willingness you show, then that kind of influences what you get to do in your internship. So, uh, demonstrate a lot of uh, willingness to do things and you'll um, and you'll you'll you'll, ha you'll get you'll get more out of your internship and get to do more things so all right so so Daniel it looks like you're getting a little bit of uh, feedback in the chat is it ready ready to bring up uh yeah so let's uh let's scrap these other two we'll save these yeah. two uh just to look ahead for next one uh is it worth pursuing engineering that'll come up in the next episode and is yep. electrical engineering more favorable we'll come up in the next episode let me pull away for a second so we had a audience question and we had them in the audience as well um they asked and, and we're gonna go back and forth with you in the chat here so so stand by so the question in the chat was, all right, so, hello, sir. I'm a student at Community College trying to earn some credits for UNT. So it sounds like they might be in the DFW area. I am mostly taking my core classes there. I want to get those out of the way first. I plan on taking some classes before heading into my program, things like 3D printing and intro to design classes to help make the learning process easier for me. My main goal is to go into UNT's Mechanical Engineering Energy Program. I want to take those classes and get a good degree in it. I also wanted to try and learn some skills in engineering technology to make me more employable. 
My main goal is to work in the field of instrumentation or powertrain. I was wondering if I can do both. I would like your advice on this stuff, please. And um, I, I, I wrote them a response and they, my clarifying questions were, um, do they want to work in vehicles? Um, or they want to work in, um, what, what, what do they want to work in specifically, what industries? And they clarified that they, for powertrain, they mostly meant engines or people that focus on powertrain components, such as the engine, transmission, drive shaft, transfer case, axles, and differentials, as well as the supporting software and electronics that you find in modern vehicles. So it sounds like this person is really interested in working on power and powertrain engineering. So for vehicles. So um, they asked about UNT's mechanical and energy engineering program and i it sounds like oh it's it's about machines and then energy so um so specifically this program again i'm not the most proficient in this program but my it looks like it kind of focuses on um on energy generation from like a, I don't know, whenever I, I work in energy and chemicals so whenever i feel when i hear energy generation i think of like energy and chemicals but i guess that and it kind of depends on you kind of have to ask the people that are that are running the program is this the program you know to tell them like hey i want to work on powertrains is this the program that you offer that fits the best with that because i know that that the, either the dean of the engineering department or the admissions person that's focused on engineering admissions that if you give them an idea of what you want to work on, then, um, then they're going to be able to kind of help you out though. I'd say that like, you know, if I was wanting to work in the automotive industry or on vehicles and I wanted to work in on engines and powertrains like that, you know, I, I don't know about you, Luke, but I would kind of venture more towards just a mechanical engineering degree. What, what I mean, or an, I don't know if automotive engineering is a thing, but um, you know, I, I know that a lot of the 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 those companies that do those types of things, they they'll employ mechanical engineers, they'll employ electrical engineers, they'll employ, employ all different different types of engineers, right, to do different roles. So if you if you're coming in as a college hire, you know, I think that the the, the easiest way to get hired by one of these companies is to have a degree that is something that they can recognize and they might recognize a mechanical and energy engineering degree because it has mechanical engineering in it and it's ABIT accredited so that's good but they might even be a little bit more comfortable with just a mechanical engineering degree and um but what do you think about that so i think first first you probably want to take a step back a little bit and do yeah. uh, similar to what daniel's saying <clears throat> so i think whenever Typically, whenever you see a, a degree that's focusing on power or energy, it's typically more of power generation. And whenever it's power generation, you're looking at um, really big combustion engines. You're looking at turbines. You're looking at yeah. stuff like that. That's like the, like be... the Wurzelas of the world, right? The, 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 those are doing those are like simple cycle engines for um, industrial power applications. So yep. So you're looking at something that's going to make you know, hundreds of megawatts of power, not something that's specifically for a smaller ice or internal combustion engine, right? So something for a vehicle. Um, if you want, it sounds like what you want to do is you want to be an R&D um, mm -hmm. or if you, you want to do some design work for vehicles. 
Um, I, I don't know about you, Daniel, but I don't think I know anybody that ended up in that career path. I don't know how lucrative it is to end up there. I don't know um, anybody personally, unfortunately. So I'm, I'm definitely not a, a subject matter expert uh, on that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think, I think probably what you want to do is, and we talked about it a little bit is um, how to set yourself up for success. You know, whenever you're picking a school or whenever you're picking a career, you probably want to find out, you know, go to LinkedIn and see if you can find people that are in R and D for that kind of stuff and see what they do. Cause there's a good chance that people that are doing R and D for any sort of vehicle or automotive, they may have masters and PhD degrees. Um, now you asked about the difference between powertrain and instrumentation. So, so powertrain, um, powertrain is probably going to be more on the lines of working with the combustion engine and then also with the, uh, transmission, like the, the gears and all that kind of stuff to output that mechanical energy into your drive shaft and then into your, um, into the tires or into your differential and your axles. Instrumentation is going to be different in the, because it's more of an electrical driven, electrically driven thing, and it's going to be more of electrical slash computer control systems. Yeah, control systems. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know if there's something. I don't know if there's going to be a degree that could be all encompassing for both those things, unless you want to get a mechanical engineering degree with the focus on. Um, you may, you may have to get something that's not even necessarily focused on power. You may want to get something that's more focused on the power transmission part of it. So something that's more focused on statics and dynamics and that sort of stuff, as opposed to the thermodynamic properties of, um, you know, what's going on within that combustion engine. Uh, but I don't know if there's something that you can do that's going to be that as well as tie in with a instrumentation degree. Um, and if you do, that's going to end up being probably you're going to have to get a mechy degree and an electrical engineering degree or you're gonna no. have to get no not 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 both come on no I, you can I take mean, elective you can take electives all right so let's back out let's back out so um so you, you have to take like you have to take entry level like for example if you're a mechanical engineer you're gonna take a, did you take a circuits class luke yeah yeah i took a circuits okay, class. you took you took a physics class for electromagnetism so you took the prerequisites for electrical engineering electives so for example um you you could take an, an elective course you don't have to have to, you can get your mechanical engineering degree or whatever this uh i don't know how narrow this mechanical and energy degree program is um because I, I wouldn't say that there's a, a job title out there that is mechanical and energy engineer I, I you know there's mechanical engineers that work in the energy industry um but i wouldn't say that there's a job title called mechanical and energy engineer that not that i've ever seen before but say for example if this person wanted to work on engines i took i was a mechanical engineer that's that's what i studied in college mechanical engineering i took an elective course on engines right yep. so I, I learned about the different i learned about did you take an elective course on engines luke no they didn't offer it but they typically yeah. have one yeah yeah and then we have uh, i have a friend that went and got his um his master's degree and focused in turbine engines. So like if you're really specific in certain type of power generation and certain types of engines um, or anything like that, then there's master's degree programs that allow you to focus on that. Right. I, I wouldn't recommend trying to split yourself into two undergraduate degree programs. And yeah, I mean this, this program, it looks like it kind of it's focused in mechanical and that also has some direction that sends you into the energy industry or energy generation. So I think that this is kind of an example of what, what I kind of created for myself and, um, but 
do you would would you necessarily have to get a sorry for coming in and just saying no off the bat but i i just want to advise hardly strongly against getting two undergraduate engineering degrees well i'm well it was more along the lines of if you wanted to do both like i don't know if they're going to take someone that um has i don't know if you're going to be able to fill the roles of an instrumentation or an electrical engineer without yeah. a very strong electrical engineering background yeah. so if you want to, if you wanted to end up in a position where you do both but um, if you want to work in the energy industry, which it, it looks like that's kind of what you're, you're saying, there are definitely opportunities for you. And there are definitely things that you can do that is going to be around a lot of thermodynamics of um, energy and power generation and also transfer of energy. And, you know, like it doesn't necessarily I know a lot of people, whenever they think of energy transfers uh, or energy um, or power, a lot of times they go back to automotive. But you know, you could go work for Siemens, you can go work for Mitsubishi, you can go work, I mean, you could work in a manufacturing setting for um, an automotive uh, company like Ford and GMC, or uh, not, not GMC, um, Ford Chevrolet, and Chevy, General Motors, yeah, or G yeah. GM, GM, yeah, Ford and GM and Nissan has um, a plant in uh, Tennessee, somewhere around the Nashville area. So, you know, like you can go work in the you can go work with cars or you can go work in something that's going to do similar to what an internal combustion engine would do. Um, and it not necessarily be something like on a vehicle. So, but if you want to look for something that's like really lucrative, like R and D for, you know, Lamborghini or Ferrari, like you're going to have to, that's a very, very lucrative um, career path and something that you're definitely going to require a lot of work to end up in that position. Exactly. And, and just to just to be just to, for an example right here, uh, General Motors has a position for their summer internship for sustainable workplaces in mechanical and electrical en engineering. And, and specifically, they're looking for pursuing a bachelor's degree in mechanical or electrical engineering. That is that is what they're looking for. So that's why, why I said that, like, you know, I wouldn't completely advise against going into this program, but like um a, a lot of the, the big companies that are out there they're going to be looking for like your typical mechanical or yeah. electro engineering degree we're kind of all over the place here um we've got somebody in the chat that's asking questions live so that's kind of why we're bouncing all over the place but um but yeah yeah exactly so working in the energy industry um which is like what i, I guess i i guess i could say i work in the energy industry you yeah, work in more, no, you, you work in more you, you work in consumer products right is, is, yeah. is kind of where, yeah, yeah you work in consumer, consumer products goods. but um but yeah as somebody that works in the energy industry there's there's plenty of ways to um there's plenty of ways to get involved um with with that with just a mechanical engineering degree or an electrical engineering degree i am a mechanical engineer that works in the energy industry but i don't do any mechanical engineering design myself which is a whole other thing we could get into at another point in time but yeah we um thank you so much for for sending in the email and for engaging in the chat um the, the, the other thing i i guess I'd, I'd close out with is um the fact that you're you know you're, you're early in your community college you and, and you're th starting to think about where you are you want to work pretty early on is 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 phenomenal and 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 keep on keeping up that mentality uh towards you know your education is your investment in your future for for your career 
and that'll that'll serve you really well if you continue to advocate for yourself and continue to ask those questions and and please continue to to write into the podcast um, and we will we will do our best to to keep on answering uh, I don't know I was gonna say something else and then I kind of lost my my train of thought Luke am I am I missing anything no I don't think so I mean um, I mean keep us in the loop I want to know how how it pans out and um, if you know if you do end up in in one of those those roles i kind of want to see you know what what your career path takes you down and uh what those opportunities look like so if you need any specific help or if you're looking for any sort of specific advice maybe there's a chance to include it in the podcast but i'm sure daniel will be more than willing to help out and um, you know maybe you're looking for connections or how to you know start that internship process and looking for internships and stuff like that to put you into that field um, I'm sure Daniel can, can help you out and I'd be more than willing to help out too. And, you know, we yeah. have a couple of connections too. So maybe, uh, maybe, you know, we can provide help down the road. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the, the, okay. I remember what I was going to say now. Um, what, what I do is since you're not in this program yet, again, whenever you're applying into the program or considering, the, you know, you're evaluating this program, not, not only are you applying to try to get in, but you're also evaluating the program, right? So whenever you're talking to the school, ask them, what kind of companies do people that get this degree tend to work in? Where do they end up going? And, and that kind of yes. give you an idea of where that degree is kind of focused and, and, and whether or not that's a good fit for what you want to do. And the other thing I'd want to do, re recommend you do, is that go look at the types of companies you want to work for. If you want to work for Ford, if you want to work for Chevron, you want to work for Shell, you want to work for General Motors. First of all, go to their websites and look at their internships and see, and their college hire programs. A lot of these big companies, um, they, their college hire programs are pretty explicit on what degrees they're looking for. And see if they're looking for your degree. And if they're not naming your degree, I mean, I am dead serious i went i flew across the country to go to a national career fair i interviewed with a major electronics company uh by interview i went up to their booth and i said hey i'd like to apply here's my resume they looked at my resume they said what is this degree it's it's, it's bachelor of science in engineering science i studied mechanical engineering and they're like so like engineering technology i said no mechanical engineering they're like well it doesn't say that and i was like well that's what it is and they're like well sorry uh, we work in HR, and we're only allowed to recruit people that have a bachelor of science in mechanical engineering. I mean, it, some people, it depends on the company. And I'm like, okay, fine. This is not the company I want to work for. But if you want to work for that kind of company, um, some of those companies, they, they have filters on your applications. They will filter you out just simply by the name of your degree. So something to keep in mind. Um, that's why I always kind of say stick with the, the big ones, mechanical, electrical, chemical. But, I mean, you do you. I, I'm sure that uh unt does a good job of, of marketing their degree and their students that are in that degree program so anyways that that is that is the uh that's the that's the advice on this one and we'll, and we'll talk to you more about it if we go back and forth some more all right luke you know what i, I we were kind of all over the place i'd like to close the podcast out with one more question where we can actually present ourselves in a unified <laughs> and um organized front so Okay. I'm going to do this one right here. This one is, is electrical engineering more favorable? I'm majoring in mechanical engineering and I'm satisfied with my major, but it seems like electrical engineering is currently more in demand in the field. 
how do you think of me transferring from mechanical engineering to electrical engineering? Here is my take. I think that's a stupid idea. Not calling you stupid, I think that's a stupid idea. And here's why. Um, whatever. But if you are satisfied and you're more interested in mechanical engineering, which it sounds like you are, stick with it. Because you're going to be able to find plenty, you're going to be able to find a job. Mechanical engineering is a very desirable degree. There's always going to be jobs out there for mechanical engineers. And if you're more interested in the work that mechanical engineers do, then you're going to have a more fulfilling life career and you're going to probably perform better because you're more interested in the content that you're working in so why why do that like why 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 leave the thing you're interested in to do something else just because you think it is in more demand there's plenty of demand for mechanical engineers don't make that decision just on that metric alone however if you think that the stuff that electrical engineers do is more interesting to you then yeah consider it but that's my take. What do you say, Luke? Yeah, I think if you um, be if you start the process of chasing down what you feel like is um, currently hot jobs or hot markets, um, that stuff changes every five to ten years. And I mean, I'm sure Daniel, you're you're aware of this. I mean, you know, power generation was kind of up and down. Um, it was really hot you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even into the, like the 2000s, and then it kind of dropped off because everybody had what they needed. And so a lot of people were pursuing oil and gas, a lot of people were pursuing power generation opportunities. Um, and now and it's then, coming back, right? And with now, the, yeah. And yeah, with now, the with natural gas and yep. hydrogen and ammonia. So yeah. Yeah. And so if you if you start going down the process of just chasing whatever the, the big hot thing is, could end up in a spot where, you know, you um, have this degree or you have this opportunity that it's not a hot market anymore and it's really hard to get into. Um, so, and you, you don't like what you do. Yeah. So if you have the opportunity, pursue what you want to do, like pursue what you like. Um, and I think that's going to be much more favorable for you in the long term. I think it's going to be better for your career growth, better for your career development. Um, so that's that's what I would recommend. Uh, don't don't start chasing hot industries and don't start chasing lucrative degrees. Because um, I remember whenever I was in school, I think uh, supply chain was getting to be really hot. Like that was kind of the big thing that started up. Um, and I mean, there is a lot there. There's a lot for it. But I think you know, if instead of I, if you had pursued an industrial engineering degree, you definitely could have ended up in supply chain. But if you had switched from industrial engineering to supply chain, yeah, you probably could have, could have gotten a job out, out of school. But as soon as that market kind of quieted down, people are going to go to industrial engineers. They're going to prefer industrial engineers over people with the supply chain management or whatever the thing was. So, yeah. you know, same sort of concept here. You know, follow what you want to do. Don't sacrifice for, uh, you know, chasing a hot field or a hot, hot topic. I wouldn't say that electrical engineering is like a hot topic in the same way that, say, for example, nuclear engineering was, right. um, but or petroleum engineering was, um, but because it's, it's it's one of the core three. It's mechanical, electrical, chemical, and then core four, civil, add civil. Sorry, add civil. Yes. Uh, it's one of the yeah. core four. Um, so it's always going to be in demand. And I'm not saying that you're just chasing the hot thing, but like, um, yeah, it just mechanical and electrical there's always going to be demand for it and they're versatile degrees so yeah it, 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 you don't don't chase chase the 
the money whenever you're not going to be as and you're not going to enjoy it as much so yeah, yeah. all right well well that's the podcast if you have any questions write into engring.success at gmail.com just like this lovely gentleman or actually i, I assume their gender just like this lovely person in the comment <laughs> section has done um appreciate working with you and answering your questions um we'll answer more questions yeah all right well sounds like something's going on in the background so i'm gonna check out i'll uh talk to you later and that'll do it for this episode of the engineering success podcast sorry about that little interruption there we had the dogs freaking out over a possum but make sure that you like comment subscribe if you're watching on youtube or any video platform if you want to write into the podcast write into engring.success at gmail.com and make sure to give it a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform and as always this has been the engineering success podcast i'm your host daniel dollinger that was luke callahan and i'll catch you in the next one Thanks. Communicating, I miscommunicating. I just made a pilot, then they threw me on the stations. Now I'm not complaining, now I'm not complaining. My thoughts get complicated, I cannot explain the lameness. Never losing focus because I ain't chasing payments. Still playing in the basin while I'm working on arrangements. They heard the kid in 50 countries, thank God that's amazing. But I'd rather thank Spotify, they put me on the stations.